because he turned it this morning. I wish somebody would take uh, about six descendants uh, and let your worship testify that he turned it around for you. I just need about 50 radical people uh, that would declare I used to be uh, an alcoholic, uh, but he turned it around. I used to be addicted to drugs, uh, but thank God uh, he turned. Somebody ought to give him a he turned it praise. I used to be depressed, uh, but he turned. I used to live full of fear, but he turned it. Come on, somebody take 30 seconds and praise him because he turned it. He turned it. My God, you ought to thank him this morning. If he ever made a way for you, if he ever opened a door, if he ever turned it around, you ought to lift your voice and give him a shout of praise. I'm only here this morning because he turned my situation around. I'm only alive this morning because he turned uh, my situation around. The only reason uh, I'm not behind bars uh, is because he turned. I'm gonna find somebody this morning. Uh, the only reason uh, I'm not out of my mind this morning uh, is because he turned. Uh, he turned. Uh, he, he turned it. even a part of the sky. Joseph's brothers came to him 
and said, listen, we know we made a mess in your life. And Joseph looked at him and said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In other words, I know what you tried to do, but he turned it around. He turned it around. When you get that revelation, you can really start living Romans 8.28. We like to quote it, but we don't like to live it. For we know that all things, tell your neighbor all things, work together for the good to them who are the call of God according uh, to his purpose. That means uh, that no matter what the enemy does, uh, somewhere God's going to take it uh, and he's going to make it work uh, for uh, your uh, good. I wish somebody would go ahead uh, and shout uh, in the middle of your struggle. Uh, shout uh, in the middle of your this morning are you excited to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday morning hallelujah high five about eight people on the way to your seat tell him he turned it he turned it he turned it it looked like I was going down but he turned it looked like I wasn't gonna make it but he turned it looked like nothing was gonna happen but then he turned it one writer said, I, my feet stumbled and I had well nigh slipped. He said, I almost lost my footing and fell down until I went to the house of the Lord. And when I got there, the Lord opened my eyes and he turned it around. thought he had me he thought I was dead he thought that I would give up and never dance again but God but God 
I got some turnaround saints in the building this morning. I said, I got some turnaround saints in the building this morning. You got to have some courage. Because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you fall down. I wish I had some real people in the building. It's, it's not a matter of if, it's when you make a mistake. It's when you fall down. It's, but when those times come, uh, you got to look the devil in the eye uh, and let him know, yeah, I did it. Uh, yes, uh, it was me. Uh, I'm guilty. Uh, but I changed my mind. And I'm turning around. Uh, to be uh, what God called me to be. Uh, I'm going to do uh, what God I wish I had uh, a testimony uh, in the building. He turned it. He turned it. He turned it. Somebody give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah. And if you're here this morning on the, on the wrong path, God wants to turn it around for you today. Can I get a witness? I said if you're here this morning and you're on the wrong path, God wants to turn it around for you today. Amen. We're going to try it one more time. You may be seated. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Sometimes I'll try to sit down, but it's like fire shut up in my bones. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anybody thankful for what God's been doing in this house? Amen. We want to take a moment this morning to give a great big welcome to all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord. Rock Church, would you help me make some noise? Come on, we can do a little bit better than that. Help me make some noise. Help me welcome all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord today. If this is your first time here at The Rock Church, we want to tell you what a privilege and an honor it is to have you in the house of the Lord with us today. And you are a very special guest. And when you walked in the building this morning, you should have received a, an invitation to our VIP room. And that invitation is uh, just an invitation for you to join us in our VIP lounge after the service. We have some light refreshments and a small gift that we'd love to give you just as a, a small token of appreciation on our behalf that you would spend your Sunday morning here at the Rock Church with us today. Amen. And so it, it would be our honor to have you join us after the service in that VIP room. And we have a little understanding here at the Rock Church that you are only a guest for the first five minutes that you come through the doors. After that, we just consider you part of the family here at the Rock Church. Amen. Would you turn around 360 degrees, touch every hand in your area, and tell them welcome home this morning? Come on, they're behind you, they're in front of you, on the side, tell them welcome home this morning. 
Amen. We are so excited uh, to have you in the house of the Lord today. So good to have Sister Collins' mama with us again this morning. Would you help me give her a great big welcome today? Amen. So excited to have her in the house of the Lord. And uh, God's been doing some incredible things. Last week we had uh, 12 people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost here in this house. I thank God for that. Several, several people were baptized in Jesus' name last week. I think we ought to give God some praise for that. And there is no telling what is going to happen before this week is through. And uh, uh, evangelist Jacob Phillips will be back with us beginning next Sunday. Amen. We're excited about that this morning. But in the meantime, tell your neighbor, in the meantime, revival is still burning in this house. Woo! When you're a revival church, you never stop having revival. Uh, it don't matter who's preaching, who's teaching. Uh, revival isn't a function of the platform. Revival is a function of the culture of the people. Amen. And so we are continuing in, in that mode of revival today. And uh, uh, Brother Phillips is not here, but we do have a guest speaker this morning. And that is our very own college and career pastor, Pastor Trevor Sloss. Would you help me give God a great big praise for this great man of God and his family? Stand with me, if you would, all across this house as we prepare for the entrance of God's Word into this place. And uh, we have come hungry for what God is going to do in this place. And the Word of the Lord declares unto us that His Word will never return to Him void. Amen, somebody. His Word is certified seed. It is, it is not defunct. It is not uh, dysfunctional. His Word is guaranteed. But the Bible does say that there is a difference in the kind of soil that his word falls on. Some soil is like hard rock and the seed can't grow. Sometimes the seed falls by the wayside or it falls among thistles and it cannot produce what God intended for it to produce. But I feel like I'm in a house today uh, full of ground that is fertile, uh, ground that has come with expectation, ground that has come with your hearts open, uh, ready for his word to enter into our hearts. Uh, would you lift your hands one more time all over this place? Come on, in a posture of receiving his word, would you lift your voice in your hands uh, all over this building uh, as Pastor Trevor Sloss comes to deliver the word to us today. Come on, can we give that to him right now? Come on, can we lift it up just a little bit higher in this place? Come on, he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy, he's worthy. Come on, he's not just worthy of praise, but he's worthy of my best praise. Come on, he's not just worthy of praise, but he's worthy of my best praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yay! Yeah. How many are thankful to be in God's house?
I don't want to take too much of your time this morning. I want to say it's an honor to stand behind this desk before you great people of God. I want to hasten to the word of the Lord. Book of Matthew chapter 16. Something special, supernatural, about your name, Jesus. Something happens when I mention your name, Jesus. Something special, supernatural, your name, Jesus. Something happens when I mention. Can we sing it together one time? powerful about the name of Jesus something powerful about the name of Jesus verse 13 the Bible says when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi he asked the disciples saying whom do men say that I the son of man am and they said some say that thou art John the Baptist some Elias and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets and he said unto them but whom say ye that I am and Simon Peter answered and said thou art the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus answered and said unto him blessed art thou Simon Barjona for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my father which is in heaven and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I will give you the keys everybody say the keys of the kingdom of heaven said I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom based on the fact that you understand who I am book of Acts chapter number 2 verse 38 
familiar passage of scripture. This is Peter, the man with the keys, speaking. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can we read it one more time? Peter said, repent and be baptized every single one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This morning I want to preach just a very simple thought. Do you have the keys? Come on somebody, look at your neighbor and ask him, do you have the keys? Come on, look at your other neighbor and ask him, do you have the keys this morning? Amen. You can be seated. We find this account in all three of the synoptic gospels. Mark's account tells us that they were by the way. They were off to the side. They were tucked away when Jesus asked the question. Luke's account tells us that they were praying when he asked the question. And I can only imagine. Somebody said, I say in my mind's eye too much. I can't help it. You don't have an imagination. I'm just kidding. I think that was Sierra, Sister Sierra that said that. I'm picking on her. But I can imagine as they were sitting there, whether it was by a fire, whether, whether it was after a prayer meeting, or whether it was just tucked away off somewhere, as Jesus poses the question, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He's asking the question to the closest people to him. The people that have spent the most time with him. These are also the people that he sent out on several occasions. To be with the people. To go different places. And he asked the question, whom do men say that I am? What's the analysis out in the streets? Now we understand that Jesus knows all things. And so he wouldn't ask a question because of ignorance. He wouldn't ask a question because he didn't know what the answer was. But rather, I believe he asks the question to gauge where they're at in their relationship with him. I believe he asks the question solely to get it out of them, what they think. And this is revealed because we read just a little bit further and Peter stands up and he tells him exactly who he is. Can I just say this morning... That there comes a point in every person's life where you confess Christ and you say, I believe in God and you call yourself a Christian. There comes a point in every believer's life where you have to answer the question, who is Jesus? I don't want to know what your mama told you Jesus was. I don't want to know what the pastor down the street told you Jesus was. I don't want to know what the, the news media told you Jesus was or or what Focus on the Family or some other Christian programming told you Jesus was. I want to know who you think Jesus is. I want to know what your relationship looks like with Jesus. Peter, I want to know what you think. And so the disciples tell him, well, we've heard some people say that you're Elias. We've heard others say that you were Jeremiah, 
And we've heard even others still say that you're one of the prophets or maybe even John the Baptist come back from the dead. These are all great people. These are all amazing prophets. They all were notable in their own right throughout the word of God. But the problem with this analysis is that they relegated Jesus to merely a prophet. They relegated Jesus to merely a teacher. And I've come to tell you today that Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just some person in a story that we tell our kids at Sunday school. He's not just somebody that we call on in time of need and then forget about for the rest of the week. He's not just another man. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another teacher in a book of stories, but he is who G Peter said he was. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is God almighty. He's not just another man. He's not just another person in a storybook, but he is the Christ, the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the anointed one. I heard one man say he was the flesh, the anointed flesh of God. He was God in flesh. Peter tells him, you're the Messiah. He understands he's not just a teacher. You got to remember, he spent all this time with Jesus. And so he saw him teach. And he knew that he was a great teacher. They spent all this time with him and they've heard him prophesy. And so, yes, he was a prophet. They spent a lot of time with him and they heard him preach. He was a great preacher. The time they spent with him, they saw him heal people. And so they knew he was a healer. They saw him provide for people. So they knew he was a provider. But it was in this moment that Peter had to reconcile within himself exactly who Jesus was. And he knew, based on I believe, and based on what you, what you read in history about what Jews were taught, he believed that he was the one that was prophesied would come. You see, Peter knew scriptures like Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And he knew verses like Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Peter knew scriptures like that. He knew he was dealing with not just any other man. He knew this was the man that was born of a virgin. Like it was prophesied. This was a man that was, that was born of mankind. But he understood something greater. He understood that he wasn't just a son. He understood that he was truly wonderful. He understood that he was a counselor. Jesus responds to Peter and tells him, this isn't something that flesh and blood can reveal to you. He tells him, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you. He said, but my Father, which is in heaven. In other words, this isn't something that you can just get from someplace down the street. 
This isn't just something that, that you just pick up on. This is a revelation that is divinely inspired by God. He revealed his identity. And can I tell you today that Jesus' identity wasn't enough in this situation? Yes, Peter, I am the Messiah. Yes, Peter, I am the anointed one. Yes, Peter, I am God in flesh. I am a healer. I am a provider. I am a way maker. I am all those things, Peter. But now let me tell you who you are. And he flips the script on Peter, and Peter's thinking he was just answering a couple questions. And Jesus looks back at him and says, very good. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed it unto you. And then he tells him, now let me tell you who you are. He said, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I tell you that if you're looking for your identity in this house today, if you come into this place not knowing who you are, not knowing what your purpose is, not knowing, not understanding what your, your purpose is in life. I'm here to tell you today that the only way that you can find it, the only way that you can find your identity is in Christ. The only way that you can find out who you really are is in Christ. Peter, I know you think you know who you are. Peter, I know you think that you're just a disciple. Peter, I know you think that you're just a fisherman, but I'm here to tell you that you're more than that. Your name is Peter. You're a rock. And it's on this rock that I'm going to build my church. Not just the physical rock, but also the spiritual rock. The understanding that I am the Christ. The understanding that I am the anointed one. The understanding of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. Peter, it's not enough just to know who I am. It's not enough just to know that what I can, not enough to know what I can do. But I need you to understand who you are. I need you to understand your purpose. I need you to understand your calling. I need you to understand your identity. I don't, this isn't in my notes, but I feel to say this, that if you're struggling with your identity in this place, you see the, wor the world is so confused. And this just might be one of the only churches that you'll hear preaching like this. But you, you're living in a world that's confused. You're living in a world where, where, where men think they can be women and where women think they can be men. And, and they're confused. And I, I, I feel bad for them because it's not them, Pastor Spalaza, but it's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the spirit of this age that's whispering into people's minds. It's the spirit of this age that's whispering into people's hearts and is confusing. The Bible said it would happen, that he would send... The dragon's mouth would be open and the floodgates would come out and it would cause confusion. That's what you're seeing today. You're seeing people with identity crises. There are people in this house with an identity crisis right now. You think you're just here on the earth to make a couple bucks. Maybe have a family. You think you're here on this earth to just try and be a good person. You think you're here on this earth to give to church every once in a while. 
maybe to stop by every once in a while and, and see what, what's going on over there. You think you're here on this earth for just a couple years, maybe 70, 80 years, and maybe I'll, I'll get a job, a good paying job, and I'll have a wife and kids, and uh, maybe I'll get a house, and maybe I'll get a boat, or, or maybe I'll go take a couple vacations and a couple trips, and that may not be as bad as some other people's identity crisis, but even that is an identity crisis because that's only scratching the surface of what God wants to do in your life. You may come in this house and think, well, I'm a good person. I don't cuss like the other people cuss. I don't sleep around like the other people sleep around. I'm faithful to my wife. I'm faithful to my family. I don't go to the club and I don't, I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't live an illicit lifestyle. Can I tell you today that all have come short? All of us have fallen short. There's a standard that, that we cannot reach on our own. And no matter how hard you try and grasp at it, no matter how hard you try and live right, and no matter how hard you try and abstain from things, uh, you'll only come short because your flesh. Uh, Peter, you, 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 you're doing good, Peter. You're doing great things. Uh, you're not the way that you used to be. You've come a long way, but I, can I tell you it's not enough. It's not enough just to live a good life. It's not enough just to abstain from a few things. But you've got to know who you are in Christ. You've got to have an identity shift. I know I'm not preaching real hard this morning. But I feel like I'm reaching for just a few people in this house. You've come into this place and you're confused and you're wondering which way to turn. You're wondering which way to go. You're having an identity crisis. I'm here to tell you that it can be healed right now. In the name of Jesus, it can be healed right now. Your identity is in him and in him alone. We see, we understand that Christ's identity has now been revealed. Peter's identity has been defined. Jesus said the gates of hell won't stand against the church. He said upon this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell won't stand. And then he looks at Peter and he says this last thing. And he says, and listen, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The understanding, the revelation of who Jesus is. Keys unironically mean access. If you're going to, if you're going to have keys to something, the purpose of the key is to unlock something that you want to keep hidden the purpose of the key is to grant access to somebody you don't just give keys to anybody bishop i don't just give anybody a key to my house i don't just give anybody a key to my car i got young bucks coming up to me all the time hey can i can i drive your car well 
You don't just give anybody your keys. You don't just hand something. Why? Because there's something valuable behind it. And if you don't have the understanding of how valuable that thing is, then I can't trust you with the keys. I can't trust you with the access. And so because Peter understood who Jesus was, because Peter understood the revelation of the Christ, Jesus looks at him and says, all right, now I can trust you with the keys. Now I can trust you with the understanding. Because he knew if he'll just hold on to the keys, I'm about to do something in the earth through Peter. I'm about to do something in the earth through Peter with the keys. And it's not just a few chapters later. It's not just a few books or a few months later that we see Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost. Jesus has been to the cross. He's died on the cross. He's been placed in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And they're standing there. After the people have walked by and they've heard the ruckus from the upper room where the Bible says the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost was poured out. And they were speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. The Bible says that there were people from all over the world that were standing out there. And they were saying, what is this noise that we're hearing? They were saying, what is this? This sounds like these people are drunk over here. And he stands up and he preaches the first gospel message. He stands up and he preaches Acts 2.38 as, as it were. And the Bible says that they were pricked in their hearts after he told them, listen, that man that you crucified, Jesus, he said, I, I know I have a little secret about him, a little something that you may not have known before. He wasn't just a man. I know you thought he was crazy. I know you thought he was wild and out of his mind, but can I tell you, he wasn't just a man. You see, that same man that you crucified is now Lord and Christ. That same man that you crucified is now sitting up in heaven at the right hand of God. That's the same man with all power in his hand. And the revelation begins to dawn on him, on the people, and they re as they realize that they crucified the Messiah. You got to understand that the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah for millennia. It had been prophesied since the beginning, Genesis 3.15. I'll put enmity between thee and the, seed, and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Seed's going to crush his head. It's going to bruise his heel. That's Jesus. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see uh, this, this tapestry being woven of the coming of the Messiah. Prophets have come and they've said there's going to be one that's going to come. There's going to be one that's going to be born of a virgin. There's going to be one that's going to come and he's going to save his people from their sins. And they missed it because he didn't come the way that they expected him to come. He didn't come on a white horse and with an army. He didn't come with, with, a, with, a, with a sword in his hand. He didn't come with, with enticing words, but he came meek. He came humbly riding on a donkey. They crucified the Messiah, their Messiah, the one that they had been searching for, the one that they had been hoping for, the one that they had been looking for. And so you can imagine the, the realization that sets in as they just killed the Messiah. See, I think we breeze over this sometimes. This was a huge deal, Bishop, because they knew that he had to come. 
But in their understanding, he was going to save them, but not in the way that they thought. And so now they're thinking, well, now what? We just killed our only hope. We just killed the thing that was prophesied for years would save us. What do we do now? Peter, what do we do now? And Peter says, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We killed the one that was supposed to save us. No, 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 no. It was all a part of the plan. It was all a part of the plan. What must we do to be saved? How can we be saved when we killed the only thing that was designed to save us? No, it was perfect that he was killed. It's perfect that his blood is on your hands. Because it would be a representation for the next thousands of years that his blood is also on my hands. And his blood is also on your hands. Every time we sin, every time we do something that goes against the word of God, it's as if we're nailing him back to the cross. It's as if you've got the whip in your hand. And if I got the whip in my hand and we're beating the body of Jesus all over again. What must we do to be saved? You know, I don't have any on me, but I can imagine him thinking back. And I wish Peter, Peter probably wished he had a set on him too. He thinks, I got the keys right here. I got the keys right here. I have the answer right here. I have the solution right here. And I can almost hear a jingling of keys. I got the keys right here. The first key is this. You've got to repent. Come on, you, you got to. I, I know we got a lot of church folk in here that have already heard all this a million times, but I wonder if you can jump on board for just a minute. You've got to repent of all of your sins. And it's not just enough to say, I'm sorry. It's not just enough to say, God, forgive me. But you got to do what the word repent means and turn around completely from the lifestyle that you're living and go another direction. Peter said, you want to know what to do to be saved? Repent of your sins. The good thing is that he didn't leave you without an answer. He gave me the keys. He gave me access to heaven. And if you'll just use these keys, you'll get to heaven too. He said, repent of all of your sins. And then he said, you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Why? The book of Acts tells us, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's power in the name of Jesus because Jesus was the only man that walked the earth without sin. Jesus was the only man that walked the earth resisting temptation and yet he was the only man that was crucified the only man that took my sin he was the only man that took your sin and your sickness and nailed it to a cross
It's got to be in his name, Peter said. Because it's in that name. It's in that name that there's power. And then he says, lastly, he said, you got to get the Holy Ghost. He said, you got you to get the Holy Ghost. You got to speak in other tongues because you know what? Repenting is good. Repenting is necessary. That's a change of heart. That's a change of direction. Baptism is necessary because it washes away all of those stains of sin on your life. But what's going to keep you is the Holy Ghost. What's going to keep you is the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of God that lives inside of you that gives you power to overcome. Jesus said, I'm going to give you power to overcome. Walk on scorpions and snakes and serpents over the power of the devil. That's the Holy Ghost. He said, you got to get the Holy Ghost. What is the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God. How do you know you've got the Holy Ghost? I heard some people say, well, I got the fruits of the Spirit. I got love. I got joy. I got peace. I'm working on patience, but I got some of it. I'm working on that one. That's a sign that you've got it, yes, but it's not the initial sign. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, that what signified that they had the Holy Ghost was a cloven tongues like as a fire it sat upon each of them. The cloven tongues, what is that? Oh, no. <laughs> when you look at a snake's tongue, it's, it's split in two. What, that, what that's a visual representation of is the Spirit of God resting on a man. You've, he's taking over your tongue to where you speak, but it's not something that you understand. It's split. It's, 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 it's my, my mouth. I'm vocalizing it, but it's the Spirit of God that's speaking through me. Why? Because the Bible says it was as the Spirit gave utterance you want to know how you got the holy ghost when after you get done praying and speaking in tongues you look around and say what in the world just happened because it wasn't anything that i could do it's not anything you can learn you can't go to school to learn how to speak in tongues you can't go to school to learn how to get the holy ghost it's got to be you relinquishing your will you turning away from sin you washing those sins away god washing those sins away and then god coming down and speaking through you and filling you with his spirit that's the sign that you've got the holy ghost as you spoke in other tongues those are the keys those are the keys that grant you access to the kingdom of heaven. Can I tell somebody today that we don't see any keys on here that say you've got to just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Peter was the one with the keys. And I don't see Peter saying anywhere, just believe. I don't see Peter anywhere saying, just confess the Lord Jesus. I don't see Peter saying anywhere, you got to make an offering. 
I don't see Peter anywhere saying you got to shake the pastor's hand. I don't see Peter anywhere saying you've got to go through a 12-week program. Peter gave the keys that Jesus gave him. I already told you why we've got to have the keys. Because keys grant access. Can I tell you that there is only one door that these keys will work with? There's only one place that you can use these keys, and it's Jesus. He said, I am the door. And if you come in another way, if you come up to the door with some, somebody else's keys, those don't look like Peter's keys. You come up to the door with somebody else's keys, you won't get in. And if you try to come back another way, if you try to find another way to try to finesse the system, he said, you're no better than a thief or a robber. There's only one way. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus said, no man gets to the Father but by me. If you want to get up to heaven... If you want to make it to heaven, you've got to have the right keys. And you've got to go to the right door. There's a lot of doors in this city, Bishop, that claim to be the passageway to heaven. There's a lot of doors in this world that claim that they've got access to Jesus. And it may look like Jesus. It may sound like Jesus. They may do some of the things that Jesus did. They may teach some of the things that Jesus taught. But even Jesus said that there's going to come a day where those people are going to make it up into heaven. And he's going to look at them and say, depart from me. You worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Why? Because it goes back to relationship. Whose keys do you have? I don't recognize those keys. You're saying the right stuff, but it doesn't ring true. You're going to the right places. You're rubbing shoulders with the right people. You're doing, they, the Bible says that they would heal people in his name. They would cast out devils in his name. And yet he still told them, depart. I never knew you, you ain't got the right set of keys. I don't know who you are. I don't have any relationship with you. You can come to the music. Somebody say, do you have the keys? Do you have the keys this morning? The Bible says... That in Noah's day... There was wickedness and evil continually in the thoughts and hearts of men. So much so that we know the story that the Bible says that God sends a flood. But before he sends the flood, he, he gives the keys to a man named Noah. The blueprint. And he tells him, hey, 
I'm going to send a flood and I'm going to destroy the earth. But before I do, I want you to build an ark. And, and we know the story. I'm not going to belabor it. But he builds the ark in the Bible specific with the instructions on how to build the ark. And the Bible says that there was one door on the ark. There was only one way to get into the ark. And so Noah spends the rest of his time while building the ark, trying to reach people, trying to preach to them, trying to, to pull them out. And he's trying to tell them, hey, you got to get on the boat. Listen, God, I know you may not understand it, but God gave me some keys. God gave me, God gave me a blueprint on how to be saved. And that's what I feel like today. I've come with one simple assignment. That's to tell you that you got to make sure that you get on the boat. And you got to make sure that you've got the right set of keys. Because listen, the Bible says that when the rain began to, to fall, that it was God who shut the door. One door, God shut the door, and I can only imagine the screaming on the other side of that door as people for the first time began to see water fall from the sky. And I don't know how it happened, but the Bible says that the waters came up from the deep. I don't know if it just began to, I don't know if it just began to rise, but I can only imagine as the water began to cover their toes and and cover their feet and ankles and it started to come up to the, the calves and then it started coming up further and then they started having to swim in it I can only imagine the sheer terror as they realized they missed the boat as they realized they didn't have the right keys because this door was closed and the Bible says no man could open it because God closed it himself When Jesus died on the cross, or before that, in the wilderness, Moses' tabernacle, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord dwelled in the tabernacle over the Ark of the Covenant. It was behind a veil. There are very specific instructions. I don't have time to go into all the details, but only one man, once a year, was allowed to go back into the holy place, into the holy of holies. Only one man had access to the Spirit of God in the entire world. And the Bible says that when Jesus gave up the ghost and he said, it is finished, at the same time, the veil in the temple was torn. The veil was, was ripped in two, signifying that his Spirit was no longer hidden behind calf skins. His presence was no longer hidden behind a veil only accessible to one man or to one group of people, but his spirit would be open to anyone that would. Jesus said, I am that door. His spirit is open today. His spirit is accessible for you. The door is, is here for you today. I've come to tell you that salvation is here. 
I've come to tell you that, that you don't have to leave this place the same way that you walked in. I wonder if we can stand in this house. There's only one door on the ark and the Lord closed it. And there's only one door in the New Testament. But this door has keys. This door is accessible. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say this. You ought not leave this place without making sure that you and your family are on that boat. You ought not leave this place until you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've got the right keys. You ought not leave this place without knowing that you've used the keys, that you've accessed heaven. Jesus said in the book of John, no man can see heaven. No man can enter in unless he's born of water and born of the Spirit. You can't even see it. You can't access it unless you've got the right keys. Jesus. Can we lift our hands in this place? Every person in here, under the sound of my voice, if you don't have the keys this morning, or if you don't know that you have the keys, I'm compelling you to make your way down to this altar right now. We're not going to embarrass anybody in this house, but you making your way down to the altar is signifying to heaven. God, I need access. You making your way down to this front. Showing God, please. Please, I need to make sure that I'm on the boat. I need to make sure that my family has made it through the door. I need to make sure that I'm saved. To make sure that I'm gonna make it in. I need you to These altars are open this morning. I'm inviting everybody. I'm inviting everybody to make your way down to this front. You may have felt today that you need a change in your life. You may have felt today that. You need something different. You've been trying the old way. You've been trying living the way that you've been living, but you realize it's not getting you anywhere. Can I just be practical for a moment? What do you have to lose? What do you have to lose today? You've tried drugs. You've tried alcohol. You've tried the relationships. You've tried therapy. You've tried medicine. You've, what do you have to lose today?
Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man hears my voice and will open, then I'll come in unto him. But he's only going to knock for so long. You've got to make it up in your mind that you're going to open the door and let him in. You've got to make it up in your mind that I'm coming down to that front. And I'm laying my life down at the feet of Jesus. You've got to make it up in your mind that today is the day that I'm making sure I'm leaving with the keys. I'm not walking out of this place until I know I'm on the boat. I'm not walking out of this place until my sins have been washed away. Come on, why don't you make your way down to the front this morning? Just make your way out of the pew, uh, down to the altar this morning. Come on, the word of the Lord demands response from us. The word of God demands response from us. Come on, right now, all over this house. Come on, in Jesus' name, come on. Come on, as you get down to the front, would you just lift those hands as high as you can get them right now. Don't worry about anybody else next to you. Uh, don't worry about anybody else standing around you. Uh, 
and begin to talk to Jesus. Come on, that's it. Now I need every Holy Ghost filled saint of God to look all around you and find somebody to pray with right now. Come on, if you have the Holy Ghost, find somebody standing next to you and begin to pray with them. Come on, it's simple. Help them repent. Pray with the pray with the 